Welcome to the Cyber Guy Podcast, your source for engaging cyber education, cyber discussions, and a look at current cyber news and trends with retired FBI Special Agent Darren Mott. Happy Halloween, everyone. I am a retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. This is the Cyber Guy Podcast, your 30 to 45 minute look into all of these crazy things that are going on in the cyber world. I have two interviews today from the National Cyber Summit that was held in Huntsville back in September. They are with Jeremiah Rowe of Sinek here in Huntsville and uh, and Jeremy Blevins, who is a adjunct professor at Calhoun Community College and works for a company called Centaur here in Huntsville as well. So we'll talk to them in a little bit. But before we get there, since today I'm recording this on Halloween, I found an article, and today is also, in addition to being Halloween, it's the last day of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So this particular article I thought was pertinent to our times. Now, some of the things I'm going to say that were in this article are not going to come as a surprise to you if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, but it certainly can't hurt to reinforce some of the views and, and things that I've said over the past. So this is from a website called VentureBeat.com, and the title is Five Cybersecurity Mistakes That Will Haunt You. The author is Wazoo Santiago Bassett. No, I have no idea who that is, but that's who it's credited to. So uh, let's read a little bit from this. Uh, it said, he says, you'll be hard pressed to find a single organization today that isn't aware of the vital importance of cybersecurity. Well, I generally agree with that sentence. I'm not going to nitpick every sentence. I will say they may be aware of it. It's not to say that they're doing, and they're not all doing something about it. Many companies still continue to think that A, they will never become a victim because they don't have anything anyone would want. And I argue all the time that this is not the case in either scenario. Everybody has something someone wants. And trust me, if you are a company, you are being targeted. So from this article with Halloween just around the corner, let's take a look at the horrors that plague the world of cybersecurity. Here are five of the top cybersecurity mistakes companies make and how they can haunt organizations in the long term. Now, I'm just going to kind of read the highlight of his what his five things are and kind of talk about that. The first one, you can probably guess, you can probably say it with me, said it all the time. It's probably my biggest hobby horse, one of them anyway. Lack of employee training on security best practices. Sure, this is certainly the problem. You can look upon breach upon breach upon breach, and chances are it was some employee doing something they weren't supposed to do. Click on a link, go to a website, open an attachment that they weren't expecting, um, get an email from the boss to go buy a bunch of debit cards to give away at an employee training or some something along those lines. This is certainly one of the biggest issues any company can, can deal with. Um, and so a lot of times I think they just do, and he makes the same point here that many companies make the mistake of treating cybersecurity training as something they just need to check the box on. And when in reality, it needs to be a top priority. And here's, I agree with him 100%, as well as a continuous activity. Doesn't mean it has to be a lengthy continuous activity. It could be a couple things every month, just uh, an email of the day saying, hey, here's a quick cyber tip. I had a guy on LinkedIn text me about, is there a way to create a pop-up that just pops up on the computer screen that says, hey, think about this today. I think that's a great idea. If someone could figure out how to, to design that, I think that's genius, quite frankly. If I was a computer programmer, I'd work with him to try to figure that out myself, but I'm not a computer programmer. Certainly can't do that. Um, although I guess I could research it, but not, that's for that's for another podcast. But anyway, you can make cybersecurity training meaningful in that it is meaningful to the employee, to the business by making it important to them. Not only worry about how to protect your information in the business, but how to protect them personally. Uh, number two, failing to maintain proper IT hygiene. That means you're not patching, you're not 
making sure you clear accounts when people leave companies. You have people with more access than they necessarily need. Pick a problem. If you're not properly looking at IT, IT hygiene overall, you are asking for a problem. And that is why bad guys use number one to get to number two. So once they get in the system, they find flaws and, and misconfigurations within a network, allows them to pivot off of their original target point and move easily throughout the organization, doing a whole host of bad things here and there. Not consistently evaluating your company's security posture. I think this is probably, this should probably be number one because any company, the first thing they should do uh, at the beginning almost of every month, if not more frequently, is evaluate where their current security posture is. Look at their cybersecurity controls. If you don't know what cybersecurity controls are, there's a lot of frameworks out there that can give those to you. The most popular is NIST. There's a NIST 800 series, which deals with cybersecurity. And you can find uh, NIST 853 uh, has a lot of different controls you can look at if you are looking for more a more scaled down version, NIST 800-171 has uh, 110 controls. It's based largely on government organizations that have controlled unclassified information. But if you're a small company and you're not dealing in that space, it's okay. You can still look at those controls and say, okay, which of these am I doing right? Now, let's say you don't have time, personnel, resources to look at all 110. It can be a tedious process. Pick the top 20 or 30. You can go to the OWSAP has a webpage that has like the top 20 controls to worry about. And they're kind of the same every year. If you're not sure, email me, Darren at the cyberguy.com. I can kind of help you with that as well. So there's ways to do that to just to kind of continue consistently evaluate your posture. Have you, you have multi-factor authentication turned on? Sure. Is it working? Yes. Are you patching everything? It was, it's Microsoft patch Tuesday tomorrow. Are you patched? Have you patched what you're supposed to patch? Are you aware of all of the software in your system that is or is not patched? There's a lot of tools out there you can buy that can help you with this. But of course, that is costly. And sometimes leaders don't want to pay for that. So you have to evaluate the risk over the cost. So certainly something to think about. Number four, not knowing where your data assets are used, shared or stored. Certainly a problem, especially if they're your critical assets. So, and I'll read this from him, from, from his article, but data today is more liquid than ever. Between having numerous integrations, partnerships with third-party vendors, and multiple endpoints or devices. It can be extremely complicated extremely quickly for companies to track and manage their data. And again, I'll say, especially your crown jewels. My first question is, have you identified your crown jewels? If not, you don't know what you're supposed to protect. Once you figure out what it is you're supposed to protect, then ideally, you can go and protect them. Now, what does that mean? Well, are you encrypting them? Uh, are you keeping them in an encrypted space when they're stored? Are you transmitting them in an encrypted manner? Um, are you making sure and monitoring who is who is accessing that data? Are they supposed to have access? Do you have a need-to-know policy in, in place? Now, maybe your company doesn't enforce that kind of rule because you don't have to, but maybe something to think about. In other words, does you know, Jim in accounting need to worry about the intellectual property code that was written by Frank in engineering, you know, it may not. So if, if Jim is suddenly saying, Hey, I'd really like to see the code for this new project that we're writing or the, the diagram for this particular military project we're building. Why does Jim need to know that? Um, maybe Jim doesn't, maybe Jim's an insider. Maybe you have a whole host of other issues there. So, you know, you got to look at this from a, it's, it's a large issue. Um, and you got to know where your data is stored and what that data is and what is most important so that if you do have an attack, that data is secure. So if it's, if it's, you know, stored, encrypted at rest, the bad guys aren't going to be able to get to it. And you know, they may be able to get to the folder and take the folder, but they won't be able to ever see the file because they're never going to decrypt it. Um, there's other ways you can also, you can reverse this and you can create stuff on your network that you want the bad guy to take 
that is maybe filled with bogus information that sends him down a wild goose chase for a long time and makes it harder for him to really do damage to your company. That's a whole counterintelligence thing that I talk about a lot. So um, I should really do a podcast on that, and maybe I will at some point. But anyway, all that to be said, know where your data assets are used, shared, and stored. And lastly, treating security as an IT issue. This is a big issue, I think, for many companies is that IT is worried about making sure the systems are up and running and people have the right access, but they're not the security people general. Now, a lot of times, if you're a small and medium-sized company, they are the same exact thing. And in that case, then security and IT and the IT needs and the security needs are kind of hitting, coming to a loggerhead and kind of like two rams knocking each other in the head, trying to figure out which is the most important aspect to take. Now, if you have a separate security team and a separate IT team, Chances are likely they may be fighting over access and, and, you know, IT needs to do A, B, and C, but security says, no, you should do it this way because this is what I think for security. They're managed by two different teams, perhaps the CIO, or I'm sorry, the IT manager oversees the IT and the CISO oversees security. Maybe they don't get along. Maybe you have all of these continuous silliness issues. What should really happen is both of these groups should work together for the betterment of the company to protect your data and keep your systems free from unauthorized access. These two things should work in tandem, should work together, and should find common ground where what they're doing supports the other. Security should support IT. IT should support security. It is not hard, yet it seems to be a problem in many companies simply because that's what happens. One of the things this guy says in his article, it's up to company leaders to set the tone, communicating the vital importance of threat awareness, putting in place effective security, cybersecurity strategies, and providing the right tools and education to keep the company secure. That means not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. Certainly, that is, that is certainly the case. And so those two areas should really um, work together. And so I apologize. I got the, the name of the author incorrect. The author of this particular article is Santiago Bassett. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Wazoo, W-A-Z-U-H. And you can find this article on VentureBeat.com. So those are five, five things that if you're not doing them can haunt you on this Halloween weekend. So with that, let me go to my interviews from a couple weeks ago. Again, Jeremiah Rowe from a company called Sinek and Jeremy Blevins from Calhoun Community College. Well, I'm welcoming now Jeremiah A. Rowe, a solutions architect for Cinec. Uh And uh, Jeremiah, thanks. Uh, Jeremiah, Jerry, how do you, what do you prefer? Yeah, you can, uh, Jeremiah, Jeremy. Jeremy, one, Jeremy. J. Okay. Rowe. Yeah, J. Rowe, there you go. I like that. That's much better. So, <laughs> so um, talk about, let's talk about Cinec for a second. Um, it took me a minute before when we were talking. I mispronounced it because, tell me how the name came to be, because that's, that's yeah. fascinating in itself. Yeah, so the company name Cinec is based off of the TCP IP three-way handshake. So, as you're going through the handshake and the networking protocols, you've got Cinec, and then, you know, Cinec completes the handshake. So that's kind of where the name derived from. And what are they? What, what is your main um, target area? What's your business model? Yeah. So the main target area of Senac is going to be focused on uh, penetration testing, but mm. not just penetration testing. We're talking penetration testing from a next level perspective. So we refer to ourselves as the premier on-demand testing platform, pen testing platform. And we do that because we leverage a group of skilled ethical researchers in our platform to conduct uh, penetration testing across a wide band of solutions. So we're talking web, host, networking in some cases. Uh, and I think I can mention this because it's public. Uh, we partnered with DARPA to conduct a uh, prototype assessment across the board on uh, 
on some really unique assets uh, that we were testing. And so in that, to put it into perspective, we were able to scale researchers over a four-week time period with over 13,000 man hours. And so if you're looking at that from a T&M perspective, that's, that's kind of huge, Yeah. right? So typical pen testing ranges from one to two testers, two to three weeks at most, and you're, gonna, you're not going to get anywhere near those numbers right. from sure, a coverage no, perspective. Yeah. So How, that's so is, all, is it cloud-based? Is it an automated cloud-based system that does the pen test itself? Or? No, no, no. So this is real humans, okay. uh, real platforms. Uh, we do have an intelligence platform that is cloud-based, and it gap captures all the insights and metrics and analytics for what the researchers do, and it presents that back to the client so that they can make actionable decision-making uh, uh, perspectives off of what they're doing uh, inside of their inside of their environments. Uh, but the actual platform itself is 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 real humans. We leverage real humans through our platform. Okay. Uh, to conduct the offensive operations. And do you? So is your model designed to scale the for the employee? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? For the lack of capable pen tester problem across the community the where, yeah, the talent, exactly. yeah. Thank you. You, you, you would think it's a Monday or a Friday for me. I can't come up <laughs> with words okay. for God's sake. It's just yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. So, yeah. So the talent gap shortage is that, is your company designed to fill that role to help with that? That's exactly right. So uh, we really can kind of fill two niches. Well, really maybe three, right? So we can uh, augment teams. We're really good at augmenting teams with larger corporations who've already got red teams, who've already got pen testing teams, but maybe they can't get to all of their assets or their clients' assets uh, that they need to. And in those cases, we can come in and help augment their teams and what they're doing. Um, another instance is if we want to completely uh, come in and act as the red team or the pen testing platform for companies and organizations and what they would like to do, but they can't quite do it because they don't have the teams to do it. Um, and in other ways, uh, we can come in and uh, certainly uh, help to build out practices in conducting offensive operations to really take a look at what businesses have to offer. Cool. So what, so what got you into cybersecurity? I see you, you're wearing a Marine's pins. Are you a former Marine? Yeah, former Marine. Well, thank uh, you spent for your some service. time in the Marine Corps. Thank you very much. I also saw you spent some time in the FBI. So thank you <laughs> for your service. Thank uh, you. So, yeah. So you said, is that where you got down the cyber path? Are we already cyber, cyber oriented before you got in and it's kind of expanded from there? I was definitely cyber oriented before I ever went in the military. In fact, I didn't even do this in the military at all. Mm. Um, I got interested in uh, cyber and technology and computer computers from a young age and uh, in fact got banned from my public library for nice. uh, taking an interest in this <laughs> realm. We'll just let you Yeah, kind we'll of go from there. Expand. Yeah, we'll leave, we'll leave that as it yeah, is. Yeah. Um, so it was about a year and uh, went through school, went to the military. During my time in the military, kind of got back into technology and focusing on building computers, things like that. I got out and uh, spent some time at the Geek Squad. Uh, okay. Best Buy, Best Buy, yeah. uh, doing some technical support stuff and uh, eventually built out some certification. So, you know, uh, OSCP, GWAP, um, conducting CCNA stuff. And okay, let me, let me, before you get to that, let me sure. stop. So, so, Geek Squad. Yeah. How much, okay, in doing <laughs> your job there, how many illegal activities did you identify and what did you do with that? In other words, when I was at the Bureau, let's just say we yep. had friends in the Geek Squad who would say, hey, this, this computer has child pornography on it. You may want sure. to talk about it. Uh, 
I would never, I swear, I would literally never take a look at anybody's stuff. Okay, fair for, enough. <laughs> for that very, one, I don't want to see yeah, yeah, no, no, no. anything. Rightfully so. I don't want to look at anything, and people's privacy is hugely important to me. That's why I work in the world I work in. Um, though we do sometimes see things we don't want to see, your privacy is still important. My mm-hmm. privacy is still important. Sure. And so, as such, I would never dig into, I would just fix things as they should be fixed. Now, that's not the case for everybody. Right. Uh, some people, you know, do things they shouldn't do in this realm. Fair. That's fair. Okay. So, so back, Garrett. Yeah. I, I interrupted your 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 train. From, no, no, from, that's so okay. We're past the Geek Squad. We're <laughs> getting CCNAs and yeah. Yeah, yeah. So spent some time uh, working on certifications and trying to um, break into the cyber realm. Uh, did some SANS training courses. Did some offensive security training courses, and uh, ultimately was able to. Uh, get into penetration testing, red team operations. Um, went to work for an organization that is contracting to the government, so Booz Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, worked on their red team for a bit. Uh, ultimately, was able to become a team lead on the Booz Allen red team, and uh, we conducted, uh, you know, offensive operations. Part of the fun of doing that, though, was we were able to conduct penetration tests and on a dime switch into a red team mode. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. And so for those maybe listening who don't know quite the differences, penetration testing is really about identifying as many exploitable findings as you can find, right? You basically follow a stop and report methodology. You can prove that it can be exploited, and then you kind of stop, and you report, and you move to the next one. You try to find as many of those in the environment as you can, so that way the organization can do whatever they're going to do, either accept risks, risk, fix it, or do something else. Now, red teaming is more about emulating nation states and conducting offensive operations from any mechanism that you can think of. So if that involves dumpster diving, then you're dumpster diving to identify information so you can break into a, a facility through some you know, credentials that they might have not shredded appropriately. Or uh, tailgating, uh, physical penetration testing, lock picking, those sorts of things. Uh, and so we could shift on a dime and conduct red team operations if we felt the need warranted it. Mm. And so that was kind of a really fun environment at the time. Uh, there was a really cool operation we did one time that was a physical penetration test that also led to remote access at a separate facility that we were working in. And uh, that was a really fun engagement. Pulled satellite imagery, did a whole bunch of cool stuff. Was that part of your rules of engagement that is, as you're doing the penetration test and if you found the ability to exploit through red teaming that the company would want you to do that? Yeah, so as part of our team, uh, we had the flexibility with uh, uh, defining rules of engagement. So we would follow rules of engagement through a typical pen test. But if we switched to a red team operation, rules of engagement were thrown out the window and we could do whatever we wanted. Well, I guess I meant more that did the company know you were going to do that. So it, wasn't, it wouldn't be a surprise yeah. to no, them that, hey, what the, why it was, what the, what <laughs> the be a surprise to the teams <laughs> we were doing it on, but not yeah. a surprise to the company. And we okay. had authorization to be able to gotcha, do that gotcha, for the company gotcha. assets. Great. Yeah. So how, so for someone, so someone, okay, someone getting into cybersecurity, how do they go down the pen test road? Because I, so I deal with, so the, the place I work at for my full-time job, we have yeah. a lot of newer cyber analysts who are kind of getting into different roles, SOC analysts and assessment folks and stuff. But a lot of them, the first certification beyond, say, Security Plus is they want to get their pen test yeah. certification. So 
I guess first question is, if you're new in cybersecurity, how hard is it to, to run down the cyber the, the pen test road? Um, what do you need beyond just because obviously, I mean, if I wanted to, I could get a pen test certification sure. in six months. I'd do some study and pass yeah. the test, and you'd be I'm a Absolutely. pen test. I'm pen test certified. What does that mean, though? I mean, yeah. without any experience, it, it, what's that look like in the in the corporate world? So I'm a huge believer in on the job training. Sure, I think, sure. I think you can do that, and I think you can be successful at it. Um, at the time, I'd say probably 15 years ago, uh, I thought you had to kind of start from the bottom right. uh, and work your way up. Like, I'm talking, you know, uh, A-plus certification, sure. F-plus certification, yeah. SEC-plus, and you migrate from there, right, uh, to learn about all these different disciplines and networking and system administration and maybe coding and having to get all of these pieces of things under your belt and learn about Windows and Linux and all the different operating systems. and and. Yes, that's true. That stuff comes in handy. And if you know that, you're going to be a better pen tester. Mm -hmm. But if you want to get into pen testing today and you want to solely focus on offensive operations, you don't need to go through the types of things that I did to be able to get there. Uh, one, get a mentor. Speak with somebody who's familiar with the industry, who ha maybe has some you know skills and certifications under their belt. Uh, and two... Uh, focus on some of the more immediate things like offensive operating certifications, like offensive security and um, e-learn security and hack the box. And you can work on actively building your skills in this penetration testing world uh, through a number of mechanisms, both free and paid for. Uh, do some you know, targeted keyword searches on Google and that will eventually get you focused on where you want to be instead of where I was, floundering in the water, not knowing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, and uh, working my way up to this position after a lot of effort. Have you ever heard of the saferinternet.org? No, no, yeah, I have so not. They are, so they do kind of what you're talking about. So yeah. they are pen testers in Australia, I believe. Okay. So they started this side business to their pen testing where you go on and like for 30 bucks a month, you become like a junior pen tester in the sense that you, you can follow along when they're doing a pen test. You can yeah. kind of ride along and see what they're doing. And then they give you little, little mission sets. Oh, wow. And then over the yeah. course of six months at the end, you become... You know, not you don't become certified, but you become enough where you, could, if you wanted to get certified, you could. But you've spent that six months with them doing, watching, and and learning how they do pen tests. So it's, that's it was amazing. Yeah. So I I did it for a month, but I never had the time to yeah. really stick in to, to do what they wanted to do because part of it, I just wanted to learn how to do it myself. Yeah. For a variety of other reasons, but um, <laughs> so I didn't stick. So I, I may go back to it, but it was it was just an interesting model, and it seems like seems like that's yeah it's, it's exactly what you're talking about that they, they were all mentors and they were really nice guys and it's a really fascinating model but. i'm a i'm a huge fan of that kind of a thing in fact I'm, I'm so glad that you shared that with me i didn't know that that was a thing that was out there um port swiggers another thing where they do sort of free uh training in academies and stuff and um metasploitable and uh you know there's just a number of research uh, uh resources available online mm -hmm. for free in addition to those types of things. So let's talk about your podcast, your podcast yeah. to yourself. What's the name of it? Uh, so the podcast name is We're In, uh, a podcast about cybersecurity and the uh, leaders in the cybersecurity industry uh, that are making changes, waves, and uh, uh, doing some unique things in the industry. Uh, so how do you, how'd you start it? When, when did you start it? So it was started by our organization. It was a sort of a collaboration between myself, uh, a few others at the company, and uh, we had a conversation. We just kind of sat down and we said, yep. We sat down and uh, thought, 
you know, it would be really cool if we could come about and leverage some of the intel that we've got from a company, some of the uh, resources that we can tap into, uh, some of the expertise and some of the perspectives into a cybersecurity podcast that goes through and talks about some of the things that are changing from a wideband perspective in the industry, right? So we've had the pleasure of interviewing folks like Alyssa Knight, um, like uh, Nicholas Shillane, former chief software officer of the Air Force, uh, as well as we've got some uh, new podcasts that are going to be dropping here soon, uh, where we're going to be speaking to a Fortune 500 uh, CISO over some really unique things, uh, as well as some additional stuff that's going to be happening. Uh, in season two, we've got some pretty exciting changes that are also going to be coming down the line as well. And so for those that are interested, I would say stay tuned. Who's your target audience? Uh our, tar- our target audience is primarily focused around the cybersecurity industry as a whole. Gotcha, okay. Right? So practitioners? Practitioners, uh, leadership, more from a strategic perspective as well. We tap into both audiences. Okay. And we bring in uh, researchers as well as bringing in industry leaders to discuss those things. And in some cases, help to bridge the gap between the two. Cool. Well, Gerald, thanks so much for taking the time. I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. I see you're, you're here from Redwood City, California, so I hope the flight wasn't too bad. Uh, thanks so much, Darren. I hope you have a great time, and I really appreciate the opportunity to come on the show. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right. I'm joined now by Jeremy Blevins of Calhoun Community College and of Centaur Inc. Jeremy, thanks so much for taking the time to stop by and chat with me. This is actually, I, I've, I've spoken for your classes several times, so now you're just returning the favor. Thanks well, thank so much. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about, let's talk about cyber education. So, um, you know, when we first met or, or got involved, um, I came and spoke to one of your cyber classes at Calhoun. So where do you, where do you see cyber security focused education heading? Where is it now? Um, what's Calhoun doing to, because the biggest issue obviously in the cyber world is the talent gap and finding right. people to fill those spaces. Where, what, what are you guys doing to, to work towards that? So one of the things that Calhoun tries to focus on is fundamentals of cybersecurity. In our curriculum, we walk through students through managing Cisco hardware because if you don't have that background in how you actually work with hardware, it's hard to understand everything that's going on with cybersecurity. The theory is good, but until you're actually using tools, managing devices, you don't really grasp what's going on. And that's where with Calhoun, we try to provide those fundamentals so that students can get those entry-level jobs in cybersecurity. We focus on things like making sure they understand the need of Security Plus certification so that they can meet those DOD 8570 requirements, talk about how essential it is to be able to have a good background where you can get a security clearance, and then get that first job with a company that maybe can help you with your tuition to reach your further education goals. Where do you stand or what's the, what do you think, what is your philosophy on the four-year versus the two-year versus the no-year degree in cybersecurity? Is there, is there, I assume there's space for all three. There is. One of the things with cybersecurity is there's a trade aspect to it. When you think of the skills that are needed to perform a trade where you need to know how to work with tools. It's not just all about the theory of thinking through issues. You need to understand what's really going on behind the scenes. I think that's where a junior college like Calhoun can provide that background. You may have students that at this point in their life may not be looking for a four-year degree, but they want to work in that space. And when you go through a two-year school, then you can pick up that associate's degree that'll get you a little background that you need. And you may not get on some of the government contracts that require that bachelor's degree, but it can get you to where you're moving in that direction. 
And do your classes, do you have a lot of the classes that will give them, let's say they give them the basis of networking and at the end they can take the network plus yes. test and get the certification? That's, we don't necessarily teach to the certification, but we teach in that trajectory so that it's not just a certification meal. We want to make sure they have the fundamentals and understand it, but then when they get ready to take that test, they've got the skills and the knowledge necessary to pass it. How knowledgeable are the kids coming in already? Because obviously this this generation is growing up with technology all around them all the time, dealing with it pretty re- regularly. What is their skill set when they get to you, and how much do you have to how many how many bad habits do you have to break to get them to start thinking more from a security perspective as opposed to hey i just need to know how to download top gun maverick easier yeah. without getting in trouble so there's an interesting dynamic with the student base at calhoun to where you do have some that are straight out of high school but in our cyber program we see a lot of students who are either mid-career they may be older and they may not have the background that some of the younger students do. So they've got more of a learning curve because they didn't grow up immersed with technology the way that students that are, say, in their late teens, early 20s, into their early 30s are. We've got a generation now to where we have students who don't remember a time before the Internet. They've never even heard dial-up unless they've seen it on a video on YouTube. <laughs> right. So you have to have that understanding. One of the things I learned early on, I was teaching a programming class, and I had students that had never used a command line before. So there are things that we may take for granted that we've got to understand that there are different skill levels because those weren't technologies they were exposed to. I remember years ago, I gave a presentation at Calhoun before I was an instructor, and I was making a joke about when I was in high school, I didn't know what a floppy disk was. And I looked out in the crowd, and I saw all these blank stares because they don't know what one is either, but that's old technology. <laughs> right, yep. So getting past that and then helping students who are struggling a little with some of the technologies, it's where different collaboration tools have made it a lot easier to provide that support because you may have students that because of work schedules if they're only taking classes online they're not going to have the opportunity to come on campus and meet in person but they can using something like teams or zoom we can walk through those issues and get them step by step through the lab so that they understand what they're trying to do with that particular tool so how is the cybersecurity program set up what is the what is the mission set for the graduate? In other words, what I mean by that is if you look at cybersecurity companies, you have pen testers, you have vulnerability assessors, you have those that do compliance assessments, you have forensics, you have incident response, and you have SOC analysts. So is the program you guys have specific to any of those or is it kind of more of a general and then they they would specify into a certain area down the line? It's more of a generalist program. When you're working through the curriculum for the Associates of Applied Science that's focused on cyber, you're going to have three Cisco classes and you understand networking and things like that. And then when you get toward the end of the program, that's where usually students have me and they're going to be taking network security that's focused on understanding what's required to pass the Security Plus certification. We have a pen test class where we talk about some of the tools. We don't get into a lot of the theory on pen testing, but actually, how do you use Nmap? How do you use Nessus? How do you use Metasploit so that you can get into environments and perform pen tests? 
and then we also have a forensics class that's a part of that degree as well. So they get a good exposure to different disciplines that they might experience in cybersecurity. So what got you involved in, in this the whole cyber world? What, what's your career arc, if you will? I have no idea. <laughs> because when I started doing this, cybersecurity wasn't a term that was used. Right, was cyber even a term? Yeah, it was. No. So I remember mid-career, I, I started out in high school looking around and not having a clue what I was going to do for a living. So I was in junior ROTC and talked to my instructor and said, can you get a National Guard recruiter in here to talk to me? Because <laughs> I didn't I didn't have any prospect for college. So I started thinking GI Bill is my only path. And I ended up joining the National Guard in high school and then becoming a radio and comsec repairer for the Guard. And that sort of got me on into technology and just over my career went from doing IT generalist work as a system administrator and then Cyber just sort of happened. I got a job as an ISSM for a defense contractor and went from being the ISSM for that office to being the corporate ISSM for the company and doing pre-assessments before the government came out and did the real assessments. So at that time, when you became the ISSM, you must have been a unicorn, I would assume, <laughs> in the community. Yeah, yeah. I came from working for a company that did flight simulators. They did the visual front ends for flight simulators, and I did test and regression and other work like that. I was a system administrator there, but I was also the facility security officer for their cleared subsidiary. So when I got the ISSM job, everything just sort of came together with the industrial security background and the IT background into something that was really interesting and sort of new. And I remember when I came on as an ISSM, there were no certification requirements. No one was talking about Security Plus or CISSP. There wasn't any DOD 8570 workforce improvement program that sort of set that path on what certifications were needed for certain kinds of work. So what's the future look like going forward? So we have where we are now, but obviously we've got things coming that are going to make things more complicated. You have uh, more of a recognition of OT as an issue. You have the Internet of Things devices everybody's putting on their networks. You have AI coming and, and, and more advanced AI coming. I guess that's AAI, advanced, advanced <laughs> intelligence. Uh, and uh, quantum computing is going to cause us a whole host of problems. So how is the education system setting itself up to prepare future students Students or current students, rather, for, for what that future looks like. I think there's got to be an understanding still on what the fundamentals are, and mm. then you can diverge into those new technologies and how things work. What is artificial intelligence when you look at it on the back end? You've got algorithms that are doing things that humans can't keep up with. So how do the humans assess the analysis information that you're getting out of all these tools that are implementing machine learning and AI? You still, at the end of the day, have to have a human that are making certain decisions. You can't just leverage the technologies because of false positives. You know, we get into a situation where you go back to the early 80s with the movie War Games with Matthew Broderick with Whopper. If Whopper's making the decisions, we've got nuclear war. Right. Or, or just a tic-tac, a tic-tac-toe game, so yeah. either way. So, um, so from a, so what, so for high school students looking to go into cybersecurity, and maybe they, you know, they don't want another four years. They're like, I know I want to do computer stuff, but for God's sakes, I don't want to go to school for four years. Right. Um, what should they be doing in high school to prep for your programs? I think one thing that high school should focus on is getting cyber patriot teams mm. spun up so that they can get some of that experience with the tools and make the determination in high school if this is something they're really interested in. Because with Cyber Patriot, you've got a curriculum that the Air Force Association has developed that helps you to understand those basic areas that you need to work on. 
you get to go in and play. You can do some capture the flag type events. You learn about how to find vulnerabilities and determine if that's an area you want to work in and you can be exposed to what those different specialties in cybersecurity are. You know, everybody thinks being on the red team is really cool until you have to sit down and dig through all those vulnerabilities to determine which is an effective attack. Right. So um, one of the things we have here in Huntsville, uh, first of its kind in the state, the Alabama Cybersecurity Engineering What's the name of the school? I can't. I always have to go. I always have to go look it up. It's the Alabama School for Cybersecurity and Engineers. Whatever. It's Cybersecurity Engineers. Are you guys engaged with dealing with them to prep them for stuff going forward, or what's your engagement with them, if at all? We're trying to build those relationships. With that being a new school, over the summer I taught a forensics boot camp for high school students, and quite a few of the students in that class were from the the cyber academy that's been stood up. So they're doing some really advanced stuff that a lot of high schools in this area aren't going to have exposure to. So if there's some way to take what they're doing and figure out how to apply that to other schools in a scale that works for other schools in the area, that would be a great thing. And then leverage how that flows into either Calhoun for those who aren't immediately wanting to go for a four-year degree or other schools in the area that do offer bachelor programs. Right. Because, you know, the great thing that we've learned about education is it's not one size fits all. And a bachelor's degree is not the right answer for some students straight out of high school. Right. So, um, okay. What's the future? What's the future? I think, did we talk about future of education? I think I did talk. Yeah, <laughs> start, start to lose track of all my questions. I feel like it's a Monday or Friday because I keep going up. But Jeremy, thanks so much for stopping by and uh, taking the time. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest. Oh, okay. I know what my question was. You're, you're a speaker on your badge. What are you speaking about here? So this morning I spoke on the topic of what the differences are between FedRAMP, StateRAMP, and TexRAMP, which are different accreditation requirements for companies who want to sell their cloud solution to the either the federal government, state government, or Texas who's doing their own different thing. Oh, great. And, you know, tried to walk people in that presentation through what are those three things, where do they diverge, what's the reciprocity between the programs so that you pick the right one for your company and don't end up wasting $100,000 on something that doesn't get you where you need to be. Yeah, no one needs more closetware. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Yes, sir. Thanks. So I want to thank Jeremiah and Jeremy for joining me at the National Cyber Summit to talk about their companies, their thoughts on cybersecurity, on training, on the personnel gap within cybersecurity, all of those things, topics that that are constant and everybody is really trying to deal with. So again, I thank those fellas for joining me. You can find both of them on LinkedIn, Jeremiah Rowe of Synac and Jeremy Blevins, Calhoun Community College. So take a look, find those guys online, smart fellas, they, you can learn a lot from them. As always, I want to thank you for taking the time to invest in listening to the Cyber Guy podcast. Don't forget my other podcast, the Get Cyber Smart podcast. That is for all of your friends and family members who aren't necessarily involved in the world of cyber and think about cybersecurity the way that, 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 those of us that are in the field do. I'm doing a special series right now on how to protect your kid, how to keep your kids safe online. Um, and so that actually, that's going to end up being a, a larger offering um, of a larger program that I'm putting together um, for mothers and fathers um, to help protect the kid. basic things, the threats facing kids online, how to address those threats, how to talk to your kids about them, thoughts on different social media platforms. As you can probably guess, I will have a lengthy conversation on what I think TikTok means and why you should not probably use it, but 
That may be a losing battle. I'm going to talk about it anyway, but uh, look for that again. Get Cyber Smart for both podcasts. If you have thoughts, comments, suggestions, feel free to email me, Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N at thecyberguy.com or find me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash IN slash Darren Mott. Know that knowledge is protection. If you can understand the cyber risks that are targeting you, you can assess I'm sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. If you can understand the cyber threats that are targeting you, you can assess your cyber risk and you can proceed wisely online in this crazy world we live in with all the cyber threats, actors, and bad things out there, but it's not all lost. You can proceed wisely online if you do the right things. Thanks so much for listening. We will talk again soon.